Hey everybody, I'm Dave Hogue. Welcome to episode 80 of the Masterclass. And with me tonight is my good pal, Mr. Cam Brennan. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I like being on this side. Do you like being on this side? Yeah, so much less pressure. Yeah, I was sweating it there. <laughs> you did great, Dave. You did Thank great. Thank you. I don't think I had quite the, uh, uh, what was the je ne sais quoi that uh, Ooh. you have? Ooh. <laughs> what the French call certain, I don't know what. I don't know what. <laughs> what is it exactly? So are we going to completely switch roles tonight? or? Yeah. Why not? It's been 80 episodes. I can't. That's kind of crazy. We haven't had a let that sink in moment since like 71 or 72 of that we're on 80. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess this is a thing now that we do regularly. (laughs) (laughs) At least for you and me, it is. Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, if we can, if we can have a little, you know, inside baseball here, perhaps on, on how this all works. We recorded the first episode of the masterclass January 1st of 2015. Mm -hmm. That to me is harder to. Than just the 80. Yeah. Cause like, Oh yeah. 80. Like I'm, I do 80 of lots of things, you know, I think, you know, definitely not being right 80 times a day. That's not something that I do. (laughs) Um, but it's like 80 to me is kind of like, like it's a lot, but it's kind of hard to quantify. And it's like, well, is that a lot? Is that, is that just, but like January 1st, 2015, it's almost two years ago. That to me is a little more like, Oh man. Yeah. Cause it doesn't feel like it's been that long to me at least. No, I would agree with that as well. But, but here we are. Time goes by quickly. So we're still in Matthew though. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one thing that hasn't gone quickly is the book of Matthew. And we're in uh, chapter 22. Uh, now, I'm not aware of any follow-up tonight. Did you have anything that you wanted to um, go over? Sure, why not? Uh, listener of the show and friend in real life, Justin, uh, reached out this week. And uh, just as we were you know, texting back and forth, um, asked me what my deal with Piper is John Piper and briefly I'll just say uh I'll just say this I think John Piper is incredibly intelligent and I think that he has done great work and I believe that he loves Jesus and I believe that he writes really good books uh there's just a, f- a few like I think personality issues he uh it seems to me based on how I read him and how I've seen him uh, talk and speak in like gospel coalition videos and, you know, stuff that he puts out on his own little website, not little, it's a huge website. What am I saying? That sounded so patronizing. It's not what I meant. Um, that I get the feeling that sometimes it it's his way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And he seems very, um, rigid to me and I appreciate more the approach of someone like Dallas Willard or Tim Keller who are very much more open and um, warm to 
conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not a knock on, on um, Piper's theology or his ministry or his love for God whatsoever. I don't question those things. His whole like Christian hedonism thing kind of weirds me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get what he's saying. I just don't necessarily like the phrase because hedonism sounds like a bad thing, even though <laughs> it's just a weird word. Um, but to me, it's, I think it's just personality stuff. He just rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be more of a reflection on me than on him. Um, I'm not trying to judge him or put him down. I'm just trying to communicate my feelings about someone who's uh, a well-known person in uh, American Christianity. And, uh, you know, would I, would I go to his church if I lived in Minneapolis? Maybe. Would I be willing to sit under his teaching? Yeah, I own like eight of his books. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like, I'm not opposed to the man. It's just, I don't think that I would, uh, I would rather listen to and learn from a few other guys before him simply based on uh, how I feel about him. Whether that's right or wrong, you know, is, is up for debate, I guess, but. So that's that's what I meant by my comments last week, and perhaps I should have prefaced them a little more clearly, because uh, I know it's not the first time that I've made comments like that about him. So, John Piper, he's an okay guy. <laughs> I would encourage you to read his books, because he, like I said, he's incredibly intelligent, he's incredibly well-spoken, he loves Jesus, he loves the Bible, and he wants to defend it. Yeah, And I applaud him for that, and... Um, would encourage you guys to read his stuff. I just, I think personality-wise, that's that's more of what my issue is. It's not about something that actually matters as far as, you know, protecting God's truth. It's just more of like, he just he just kind of makes me uncomfortable and antsy and like, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was actually a youth pastor in Minnesota. A? Uh, that's more a, sorry. A suburb of Minneapolis was not in Minneapolis. And I in my time in Minnesota never heard of John Piper. So I'm kind of looking at his book list here right now. And I think he it, it would appear to me that the vast majority of his books were written after we came back to Kansas City. Um, and it was while working at a church here in the Kansas City area that my boss bought me a John Piper book. And did he write more than one Christian book on the Christian hedonism, or is there just the one? It kind of inner. I mean, it's that's kind of like the basis for how he views a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. as far as our relationship with God. Um. And so, like, desiring God is the, like, the big one that everyone... Desiring God, meditations of a Christian hedonist. Yeah, that's kind of, like, the one that, when people think of John Piper, they think of that book first, mm-hmm. mostly. He's written a bunch of other books. He had this back and forth with N.T. Wright about justification. Um, I do remember that. And I have N.T. Wright's book and Piper's book about that. I've read half of both of them, and then mm-hmm. I just quit, because I was like, this is two guys arguing about stuff that matters, but I don't need to read 800 pages on it. Yeah. Um, and I like N.T. Wright. Uh, 
mostly because he's not afraid to ask questions that upset really traditional people mm-hmm. and he, and not in like a um sticking it to the man kind of way in like a scholarly hey let's ask this question kind of way and he goes a bit too far when he you know has the new interpretation of paul and totally changes a lot of stuff but i just i find nt Wright to be a very healthy counterpoint to a lot of the conservative american evangelical stuff that is out there Mm -hmm. whether he's right or wrong it just it to me he serves as a good counterpoint to someone like john piper all right fair enough so if you're in for some seriously heavy reading, check out N.T. Wright and John Piper, and you have about a million pages to read of really well-written, really well-thought, dense um, theology by two really smart guys that have, that have done it academically and have done it in ministry as well, which is, I think, the thing that I appreciate most about guys like Piper, N.T. Wright, or Tim Keller is that they do it both academically and in ministry. They're mm-hmm. not, they're not you know, uh, head in the clouds in academia only or stuck in the trenches in ministry only. They, they're in both places. And that's where I think you find, at least in my opinion, some of the most well thought out um, concepts and discussions because they have the, the balance of, of academia and philosophy and ministry and practicality. Uh-huh. It's when you are only in one and not at all in the other that you get some potentially really peculiar um, and not uh, terribly deep stuff, I think. At least you, you run the risk of that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and just looking at uh, his list of books here, it is uh, quite extensive. Um, so I see the future of justification, a response to N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. And then a couple that stand out to me is Amazing Grace in the Life of William Wilberforce. So that's one that I'm curious, I'd like to check out. And then um, John Calvin and his passion for the majesty of God intrigues me. Um so yeah, it looks like he's written kind of some biographies or books related to um, historical figures, and my assumption is is um, what uh, their walk was like, what their passion was about, um, and then yeah, a whole bunch of just very very quite a, quite a I should just I'll say a broad. Uh, topics that probably go well beyond the whole Christian hedonism. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, like I said, I'm not um, was not overly familiar with him. Have read a few things by him, and um, you know, uh, his website is desiringgod.com. What is it? Desiringgod.org. Dot org. It's desiringgod. Dot org and I, there are some good stuff on there as well, yeah. especially if you have questions about theology. And the other thing that he does do is I think he has like a little podcaster YouTube type video series of like Ask the Pastor or something like that. And um, the things that I have seen about him on DesiringGod.org, um, 
I'm with you. I would find it very easy to sit underneath his teaching should I find myself back in Minnesota again. Yeah, so we'll have links in the show notes to um, John Piper's website, to N.T. Wright, to John's books, and to N.T., or Tom, as he likes to be called, when he's not writing fancy books, Tom Wright, um, his books as well, in the show notes, which you can find at supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 80. Or if you're listening on your phone, you can probably just scroll down below the podcast art, and they'll all be right there for you. Because you'll be listening to this in the future. Yes. I always love that we get to time travel on a weekly basis, Dave. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. All right. Oh, hold on. Yep. Sorry. I do want to say thanks to Justin for uh, asking that question and getting us started on that discussion. So thanks, Justin, for uh, for sending that question. Yeah, because when we're sitting here talking, we don't always pick up on those things or things, you know, questions or... Yeah, I make offhand comments expecting all the listeners to know all of what you know, all of my history, you know, <laughs> which of course no one no one can know. And so when I make comments like that, I'm making it from a position of, yeah, just read my mind and know exactly what I mean when I say he kind of bugs me or whatever it is that I actually said. So, um, good catch by Justin and I appreciate him sending that question in and giving us, you know, something hopefully helpful for you guys. Um uh, to uh, to hear and and maybe some some new books to uh, to check out. Yes. All right. Shall we start on our verse, our topic for tonight? I think we should. All right. Do you and want to do the honors? I feel like yeah. If our roles are reversed, then I gotta step up to the plate here and read these verses. All right. We are gonna finish Matthew chapter twenty-two this episode. And we're going to do verses 41 through 46 that go a little bit like this, Dave. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Yes, no more questions. So, uh, to be completely upfront with you guys, I wanted to skip this. <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense to me. There's too many who's the Lord and the Lord said to my Lord and how can he can be how can he be Lord if he's the son? It 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 it's like a bad logic puzzle to me. But in our discussion before the show, Dave um he dropped some wisdom and some knowledge on me, which is why he's hosting this episode. This is his puppy. <laughs> he's driving this ship. Uh look out. There's no iceberg right ahead, we're fine. Good. Uh so uh, I think the one of the first things with this verse is Jesus asked him a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? And for us today, most of us uh, who have an interest in Jesus of the Bible, when we say the Christ, uh, we automatically think Jesus. And at the time that this question is being asked, um, I'm 
guessing that most of the people sitting there aren't thinking of Jesus as being the Christ. Fair point. Okay. So he says, what about the Christ? Whose son is he? And uh, their response to them, or their response to him is the son of David. So we've established that they're not thinking Jesus is the Christ. Christ is also another term for Messiah. Uh, But they refer to him as the son of David. Uh, Who is the David that they are referring to here? I don't think it's you. No No offense. No, it is not me. Okay. Thank thank the Lord. These are all the Daves I know. Is that that how that song goes? Yeah, these are the Daves I know. These are the Daves I know, I know. These are the Daves I know, I know. Uh, No, they would be referring to King David. Of Old Testament and Psalm fame. All right. And do you have any idea why that? I mean, why is there any significance to that? Uh, he was kind of a big deal. Okay. Uh, man after God's own heart. Um, took Israel over from crazy old Saul. Mm-hmm. And based on what we know, was kind of like the best king Israel ever had. Because Solomon was really good, but he lost it in his old age, like big time. And David only ever, like, he never really lost it. He did a few dumb things, a few reprehensible things. But overall, David is considered to be kind of like the ideal for human leadership. And also, more importantly, uh, is kind of an example of what it is like to have a honest relationship with God in my estimation because we see David succeed and we see David struggle and we see David repent and we see David change and we see David cry out to God when things are going bad and so like we get to see the full range of emotions and situations with David in his relationship with God through his stories in the historical books and also through the psalms that he writes And so we get to see David praise God, and we get to see David despair. We get to see David kill Bathsheba's husband because he had an affair with her. But we also get to see David lead Israel as a man of God. And we get Mm -hmm. to see him uh, in in almost every situation um, and how that affects his relationship with God. Um, So from my standpoint, I see David as uh, not necessarily like someone to look up to, but definitely someone to really learn a lot from and to feel it's okay to struggle with God. It's okay to question God. It's okay to um, to have those emotions. And I'm not the only person that has ever felt like they were at rock bottom or they were abandoned or that they were on cloud nine when it comes to their relationship with Mm -hmm. God. Like I can see, you know, while the details may be different, but I can see myself in David. I'm certainly not a King. I certainly don't have 95 wives. Like I don't, you know, none of those things. No one's ever looked at me and gone, Ooh, Cam, there's a man after God's own heart. Like, (laughs) I don't have that, you know, cool little tagline on my business card, but I, I see David and I see someone of like, okay, this is a person I can relate to in the Bible that feels the things that I feel that, that has done dumb stuff. Like I've done dumb stuff, but is someone who still loves God and is someone who God still loves. So 
to me, that's the David they're talking about. Okay. And so, for the Pharisees, the Messiah being the son of David, those terms are almost synonymous. And it's a prophecy of the Old Testament that his, um, the seed of David would be the Messiah, uh, even to the point where um, we began with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. But Matthew actually begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And David is very much a part of that um, genealogy. And so then Jesus says to them, How is it that the Son, or that David in the Spirit, calls him Lord? And he quotes Psalm uh, 110, which I came across at some point here recently, is that Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. I haven't verified that. That'll win you a Bible quiz one day. I haven't, like, yeah. That and two bucks will get you a cup of coffee. (laughs) Uh, Not a Starbucks. (laughs) I got a cup of coffee. You know, it was. It was two something, wasn't it? (laughs) Anyway. That pesky sales tax. Yes. Uh, So it's the, the, to quote uh, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So there's attributing to King David, Psalm 110, and Jesus goes on to say, If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And if no one was able to, well, so we'll, we'll stop there. If then David calls him Lord, uh, how is he his son? And so, uh, as we've talked about quite a bit here recently in Matthew, um, and maybe the entire time we've been there, uh, Jesus is just turning their assumptions, their belief on its head. And the Pharisees very much expected the Messiah to be a human being, a deliverer, uh, to the point that he would sit on a throne, probably have, a, have an earthly rule, that sort of thing. And so again, Jesus is kind of changing that uh, paradigm that he's just going to be a human. and Really, we're getting him pointing towards this idea of the Messiah being fully man and fully God. And I don't think this is something we have spent a ton of time discussing or hashing out. And so uh, I guess my question to you is, is how important is that for us to believe? I mean, is this really what Jesus is saying? I mean, is he really pointing to the Messiah being fully God and fully man. Is that something I often use the term essential when I, when it comes to my faith and my belief, is this something essential for us to believe as a, as a Christian? Absolutely. It is. Yeah. You heard heard it here. Probably not first, but you heard it here. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The, so if you, um, if you do a little research, uh, or if you have a really good uh, education program at your church, or if you have any um, college training in in church history and theology, um, you'll you'll know that there are some very common heresies uh, from the early church that that circle around this whole idea of 
Jesus being fully God and fully man. And I, the one that's coming to the tip of my tongue right now is docetism. And I'm going to look up so I can tell you exactly what it means because uh, I forget it exactly. But <laughs> And I think you're spot on. Well, this, you know, like you said, if you've grown up in the church, this is something you're familiar with. You probably don't wrestle with it very often. But early church, it, this was a huge issue. Yeah, because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't like, make any sense. <laughs> and so, like, you're left, you're left with essentially two options. And one of those options branches off into a bunch of other options. One option is you take it at face value. And even though it doesn't make sense that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that is an option. Mm-hmm. Your other option is that he isn't. And so from that he isn't branch, you've got he was fully God and not man at all, or he was fully man and, or sorry, fully God and not man at all, or he was some weird mutant version of the two, but only like 40% God and 60% man, and you get all these weird things. So anyways, docetism is the doctrine that Jesus' body was not human, but either a phantasm, which is a great word, or real but of celestial substance, and that therefore his sufferings were only apparent. So, this is is a version of that second option, of he can't be fully God and fully man because that doesn't make any sense. So, in order to make sense out of it, we're going to say, well, his body wasn't really real, or if it was, it wasn't the same body that we have, so that when he was beaten, spat upon, crucified, his legs were broken. He was pierced, you know, his side was pierced. All of that just appeared to happen to his body, but it didn't really happen, which takes the most heart wrenching, beautiful, sacrificial moment in the history of the galaxy and turns it into complete BS. It becomes a charade. And so when Christ is on the cross dying for all of humanity, He's really up there having a cocktail because it's just appearing that his body's being tortured and he's dying, but he's fine because his body was a phantasm or made of celestial substance, Dave. And so really, he's the man behind the curtain. Yes. And I don't know about you, but that's not no enough to uh it's not enough to respect, let alone enough to follow. Um, and devote myself to. So that is one of the big heresies that came in the early church as part of the Gnosticism movement. Um, and there are some others, and, and you know maybe when Dave talks, I can look them up um, so I can give you specific names so you can do more research on your own. Um, but yeah, this idea that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man is absolutely essential to the Christian faith, because if he wasn't, then he was a liar. Right. And the second he becomes a liar is the second this whole thing unravels. Hmm. And he's worse than the Pharisees at that point. Because at least, at least, no, I can't even say that because they were charlatans too. I I assume that some of the Pharisees were genuine. Mm -hmm. Probably a fair share of them. Sure. I think the ones out to get Jesus weren't, and they were in it for the the power. But if if Jesus is is touting that he is God, and yet he is man, 
and he really isn't, then he's a liar. Right. So, yeah, that, that is one of the reasons why I think it is absolutely essential that this be true in order for Christianity to matter a lick. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, for me, one of the essential pieces for it to be there is um, his crucifixion on the cross. You know, for him to truly be crucified on the cross, he had to be a human being. He had to die a physical human death. For that death to have any substance to it, for it to mean anything, he had to be God or he had to be perfect. He had to be that that sacrifice. And um, I cleared the history in my Google search here on my phone as we're sitting here, and I find it interesting that and I, I'll be candid. I don't quite know how Google works, but I put they know everything. I put fully man, fully God in there after clearing my history. And the first two sites that come up are desiringgod.org. <laughs> and I don't spend a ton of time there, so I don't know. It'll be in the show notes, folks. Uh, and yeah, it, it, I think this even parallels to what Cam was talking about. Uh, when we look at, at King David and being able to relate uh, to him and his life, um, for us to look at um, Jesus and his life and uh, John one fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have a God that physically entered the world through human birth. He grew up the same as you and I uh, grew up. He had the same uh, feelings that you and I had. He became hungry. He became thirsty. Um, he experienced, you know, being physically exhausted. Um, and one of my favorite things as a youth pastor when talking about Jesus and his humanness with teenage boys was to say oh, that, boy. was to say that Jesus went through puberty the same that you and I went through it and probably got I'm not going to say I got graphic but I laid it on the line for him that Jesus probably had zits and had pubic hair and you know experienced the same things that they were experiencing and I remember that just being for junior high boys, the most mind-blowing thing that the God of the universe uh, experienced much the same uh, that they did. And that the, I still remember one of the hardest things for them to even grasp is that Jesus could have been attracted to a girl. I don't know that for a fact. I don't, because it doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture that um, that happened. But if I'm going to accept that he was fully human and that he had testosterone going through his body and, and experienced everything that we experienced, then he experienced that because that's not sinful. And I think that was the second thing that blew the mind of my junior high kids was for me to say, you can look at a girl and think she's pretty and, you know, be attracted to a girl and it not be sinful. They're like, what? You know, how but, do you think babies are made? <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think it is essential uh, that we accept that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And 
again, his death and then the whole just we're living in a human a huge lie, if that is not true. Yeah. Uh agree. First of all. Second of all, some quick real time follow up. The other one that I was thinking of that I couldn't uh remember off the top of my head is called Arianism. Oh yeah. And this is the denial of the true divinity of Jesus. Yep. Um which is, you know, kind of a problem. So I'll have a link in the show notes for uh, stuff on docetism and Arianism. But those are the two main ones that came to my mind is when I thought about early church issues with this uh, hypostatic union, if we can use a fancy theological term. Now I'm going to look <laughs> that up to make sure I said it right. Hypostatic union. Yes. The combination of divine and human natures in the single person of Christ. Hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Yes. So that, the hypostatic union, is a very, very, very important thing. So we've kind of talked about, you know, uh, we agree that it is important, and we've mentioned a few uh, heresies from the early church that kind of just chose option two. So if we choose option one is saying, yes, it's very important, how do we explain it other than just saying, I don't know. It's what the Bible says. Because the only time that matters is when you're in a Bible quiz. <laughs> Actual people that don't believe that the Bible is infallible, right, right. inerrant, whatever. Like, how do we explain to a person that doesn't take the Bible as the word of God that Jesus is both God and man? Because guess what? That sounds Fruit Loops. Like, that's insane mm -hmm. to someone who doesn't understand God in the Bible and why he did what he did and how he did it. Well, I'm hoping you have an answer to this because ah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this may be a bit of a cop-out of, um, I think this is one of our, one of the problems that we have as human beings is we want to be able to explain God. Well, if he's God, should I really be able to explain him? I mean, isn't that kind of the idea behind God is he's so big and so vast. I can't put my head around him because I, I mean, truly that's sometimes that's just where I, I land. It's just, it's God. I can't explain God. I have a finite mind. Yeah. My brain to, is only so big trying to understand an, an infinite God. and. To a certain extent, faith has to come into play. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that you're right. And I might take it. No, I'm not, I'm not even going to frame it that way because that makes me sound like an <laughs> idiot. It makes me sound like a jerk. Here's how. As of right now, if someone were to ask me this right now and I had to answer them like I was on a podcast, uh, this is how I would I would answer it. I would say. I would first respond with, even though I do think it is a, an unusual proposition to say that someone could be fully God and fully man, what are your objections to it? Yes. Why do you think it's ridiculous? Why do you think it doesn't make any sense? And just try and establish their issues with mm -hmm. it. Uh, to, try and, to try and understand where they're coming from, but listen to the answers to try and see past what they're saying to like what it really, you know, cause a lot of times when people 
are defensive or are trying to poke holes in your argument, uh, you can kind of see past the answers to like the root of they don't trust authority or they have never had a good father figure or, and, and, and not trying to like simplify an intelligent conversation, but trying to speak to the real issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to, trying to figure out what it is about being fully God and fully man that doesn't make sense to them or causes them to go, <laughs> what a crock. This is, you know, whatever. Um, and then after establishing that, pointing to Jesus' track records in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, saying, well, the Bible proves the Bible, so ipso facto, the Bible's right, because the mm-hmm. Bible, like, without, without getting into the loop that you can easily get into, it's just saying, look, we have this book that lays out the gospels. It is the only book in existence that lays out in detail the life of Jesus. So it is the only book that we can reference to learn about him. It is your decision to take the information you're provided with and make a decision. So let's not look at the Bible and believe the Bible because the Bible says it. Let's look at the Bible because it is the only thing we have available to us to learn about this man. So let's learn about this man and let's let's read his his story and then from that story you can decide if this whole fully divine fully man thing actually isn't as insane as it sounds mm-hmm. let let the story inform you and then if you have further questions after that let's delve into those questions and answers but there's no way I can sit at a coffee table or a park bench or a dinner table or on the bus and tell a stranger, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And in five seconds, I'm going to explain to you why, and you're going to be saved and born again. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be something that they experience. And that's to your point where the faith part comes in. You have to look at this and go, there is something about this man that is completely different from any other Joe Schmo I've ever met. There is something about him that is different. He speaks quickly, uh, or not quickly, he speaks to the quick, he speaks intelligently, he beats around all the bushes, he cuts through the BS, mm-hmm. and he speaks meaningfully. Yes. Let Jesus be Jesus' best advocate. Right. Do your job to bring people to Jesus and let Jesus go, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And if they have, if, if people struggle with believing the Bible, that people do Christians struggle with yeah. the Bible. Cause guess what? The Bible is challenging and our, our instinct is to go, this book is ancient and has been translated a bajillion times and Harry Potter's a book too. So why aren't wizards real? Yeah. Like, that is a normal thing for people to struggle with, but the only thing we can do to present Jesus to people is to tell them about him and to show them what the Bible says, and then let them make their own conclusions about what they read and who they meet while they read it. Cause guess what? When people read the Bible, the Holy spirit moves right in ways that we could never imagine. <laughs> and I just, 
as as and I don't even want to say ludicrous because as you said, God is God. Like he can do whatever he wants by definition. Which is like, I would totally abuse that power. <laughs> the Red Wings would win every Stanley Cup and the Avalanche would finish last every year. Except maybe they'd alternate with the Blackhawks. I can't quite decide. Um But my point is like we God does things on purpose to disrupt what is normal. If you look at the world around us, mountains aren't normal, right? They're only in a few key areas around the world. And when you see them in person, holy crap. Yeah. Like they stop you in your tracks. When you see beauty, beauty isn't, you know, beauty's in a lot of things, but when beauty strikes you, it strikes you. And Jesus is one of those instances where when you see him for what he is and for who he is and for what he means and what he's done, he strikes you. And the only way I think that people can get, get the fully God, fully man thing and get over the, what are you talking about part is to meet Jesus and go, Oh, okay. This is the one guy where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. because he's the only one where it makes sense. And he's the only one who can legitimately stop people in their tracks and go, wait a minute, there's something different about him. And you don't get that from church no. necessarily. You may every once in a while, but guess what? When that happens, it's because we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about God and we're talking about the Holy spirit, not because right. we've got an awesome band or our preachers got cool stage props. Like, when it comes, and I, I'm probably repeating myself like seven times right now, but I just I, I want to like hammer it home. When it comes to Jesus, let Jesus show Himself, and that's really all you can do. And people will make up their minds. And God is okay with people making choices. Mm-hmm. In fact, He encourages us to make choices. It's His idea, yeah. Exactly, and. People will make choices, and people will choose to follow Jesus, and people will choose to not follow Jesus. And it breaks his heart when they don't, but it is important to him that we choose. Mm -hmm. And so, present the choice. Don't, I mean, it's not about getting in a philosophical or theological debate with someone and trying to out-argue them to Jesus. It's not going to work. I mean, same way you can't, like, you could never argue me into being a White Sox fan, and I could never argue you into being a Tigers fan. Right. And as trivial as sports allegiances are, they're some of the strongest things that American guys and women cling to, Mm -hmm. because it's a sense of identity, and it's a sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself and all that stuff. Take that and amplify it by, like, a bajillion, and you have how someone feels about God for or against. And who can tell them how to live their life? And so if I can't argue you into being a Tigers fan, how am I ever going to argue you into actually truly believing Jesus and following him? Like, it's not about arguing. It's about presenting you to Jesus and introducing you and letting Jesus do the work. Because that's the only way it's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit is going to, if you choose to learn and choose to be open to it. The Holy Spirit is going to do work that I could never do, or you could never do, or your kids could never do, or whatever, you know? Yep. Man, all right, I got I to get off the soapbox.
No, I think it's good. And that's, um, I think as Christians, the only part that I would add is, is that we need to be doing our best to experience Jesus on a regular basis. Absolutely. Through reading scripture and prayer so that when we have those conversations, we can say to other people, look, this is my experience. And, you know, it's just like you're talking about with the White Sox or the Tigers fan. I really can't argue with your experience. And I, and it's the true with Jesus of, and it shouldn't be as, as manipulative and as formulaic as, as what I'm making it sound is, is it's truly that sense of if you've spent time with Jesus, other people are going to see that. Yeah. And real quick, like when you said, like, you can't argue with my experience, one thing, and, and I agree, you can't. But the one thing I want to make certain is clear is that we're not saying that like truth is relative here. Right. Just because my experience growing up was slightly different than your experience growing up doesn't mean that my truth is different from your truth at all. Like I am a firm believer that truth is not relative and truth is absolute. And I will, that is something that I will debate you about. Yeah. Um, not to be a jerk, but because it, that is an important part of, understanding God and and life and how it all works. And truth can be absolute and our experiences with truth and with falsehood can be very different. Yeah. So I just, I know that you agree with that. I just wanted to. And that's, and that's, and that's where, you know, I refer to the essentials Mm -hmm. and I, and I do think there is such a thing as absolute truth. That is which that, that which is true for all people at all places at all times. And Jesus being fully man and fully God is one of those essentials to me of, I will die on the hill for that one. I will argue, you know, it, 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 if there's a genuine debate going on between me and you about that, I'm going to hold steadfast to it. I'm going to say, I, I can't compromise on that. Um, Christian hedonism, okay, I can, I can compromise on that. I can compromise on a lot of things. Infant baptism. Your views on communion, gay marriage, who you voted for for president, all those things. But there are a handful of things that I'm absolutely going to hold true, and those are ultimately what matter. So, uh, I think this verse, uh, this chapter, Matthew 22, kind of brings a conclusion to uh, this part of the Bible that we've been in. Uh, where the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law continue to challenge Jesus. And time and time again, he meets their challenge with literally a home... I mean, literally. I've been hanging around my teenage daughter too long. (laughs) Well, you didn't say like. Like. (laughs) But he literally meets each and every one of their challenges. To the point where, and this again kind of goes back to what we're talking about with Jesus and his character and who he is. Verse 46 says, And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. There's just this element of, this guy knows his stuff. and Yeah, they threw in the white towel big time. Yeah, and the Pharisees are not the type of people to do that. They know their stuff as well. Yeah, they're the authority on the law, and they just got schooled. Time and time again. 
and so, and I think we talked about this last week, and it's it's one of those things for me personally that I just keep reminding myself of, um, and back to Dallas Willard and the divine conspiracy. If you made a, a list of the top 10 smartest people that have ever existed, Jesus should be number one on your list or very high up there because he was that smart and he understands living the life that you and I live. Um, the purpose of this podcast is what Jesus said and how it applies to our life today. I mean, that's, that's, that's what spurred us to do uh, what we're talking What Jesus said and did and why it matters today. Thank you. We haven't used that tagline in like 40 (laughs) episodes, but I'm still going to hold you to it, buddy. And I, and I'm all for it. Um, He's giving you a hard time. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Um, And so it matters. He understands. He could, and this is another thing that Dallas Willard said that, that still, it's just hard for me to completely wrap my head around. And it's this concept of Jesus could live the life that you live. He could do the job that you do. He could be where you are. Now the decisions that he would make and how he would handle things would probably be very different than the way you or I do. But, and we talked about this even on church on Sunday, there's 30 years of Jesus's life that doesn't get a whole lot of press in scripture and it's the mundane it's the getting up and doing your job and and engaging with your family and engaging with your neighbors and you know eat sleep drink repeat you know those 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 sorts of things and um there is something holy about the mundane and i'm not going to go down that path now Jesus could very much have lived the life that you lived and understands what you're going through as hard as that is to, uh, to comprehend. Um, and he has insight into your life and how to handle, uh, the struggles and the things that you deal with in a, in a way that we just can't even comprehend. So, um, on so many levels, seek him, um, because, uh, he is a God that shows up. And that is one of the things that is truly just phenomenal of, um, it's always a challenge that I give to people when it comes down to it is I'm like, if you really want God to prove himself to you, he'll do it. Just lay out a fleece in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Bible jokes for the wind, Dave. All right. Sorry. I totally ruined that. That was such a, Oh uh, no! I, I no, you were making sense, and I had to say a dumb joke. I'm sorry. Well, and actually, I was going to say, uh, you know, we'll give a free book to somebody that tells us what Bible, what we're referring to on that. Are we going to give it? We haven't given a book out in like a really, really. We don't ever did it once. Yeah. Was it was it your aunt or your cousin that won the book? It was my stepsister. Stepsister. <laughs> I am so sorry, Dave's stepsister. My gotcha. apologies. So. Anyway, are we really going to give out a book? I, I will. I yeah, I will be happy to give away a book. We will be happy to give away a book. Yes, we will. For anybody that can tell us, anybody or the first person. I don't want to give away forty books. Oh, the first person okay. that tells us. <laughs> yes, this is true. Okay, so the first person that can send a tweet to Dave or me, or if you don't have Twitter, you can email us, and we'll just check the timestamp. Dave is at ten eight HBO T E N the number eight. HBO. I'm staring Dave down right now. I don't know why. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I'm at Cam Brennan, C-A-M-B-R-E-N-N-A-N. You can email us, hello, at supermegacorp.net. Now, what are they telling us? How are they going to win this book? I just want to know um, 
What Bible verse is that fleece reference from? All right. That's all it and is. And use a real Bible. Don't Google it. Come on, guys. Oh, I guess that's true, isn't it? We kind of live in that day and age of... I mean, do what you want to do. We're never going to know, but God will. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> that was awful. I'm sorry. Yes, so the contest officially starts now. And the first person. And then you can... Should we, should we suggest a book, or are we just going to give them whatever book they want? Um, this is totally off the cuff, guys. We weren't planning on this. Dave's just a genius. <laughs> I, I'm not so sure about that one. Uh, I think we need to suggest a book. I know. I have an idea. I think you were about to say this, but I'm totally <laughs> going to steal your thunder. <laughs> you can choose John Piper, N.T. Wright, ah. Tim Keller, or Dallas Willard, the there four you authors. You can choose one of them, and we will send you our favorite book by that author. Sounds good. All right. You guys know how to enter the contest. You have to have listened to 40 minutes of the podcast, too. Well, hey. <laughs> Bring us home, Dave. All right. I don't know how to bring us home. What do we? What do we usually do at the end? Dude, just go with it, man. Wherever the spirit leads, Wherever man. Well, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate uh, your time, and hope that you were blessed by tonight's podcast. I think Cam and I both surprisingly were. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and just based on how I feel right now, this is. Probably, I think, the best discussion we've had in a while. Yes, I would agree. So, thank you for listening to episode 80 of the Masterclass. Thank you guys so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.